0: Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 look at verse 17 if you will thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife nor his manservant nor his maidservant nor his ox nor his ass nor anything that is thy neighbour's so once again it's what you should not do not what you should do the apostle paul would say how he wanted to do certain things and didn't do certain things and what He didn't want to do, he ended up doing. It's a paradox, and this goes back to the two natures of the believer. But this, of course, is week number 16, looking exclusively at the Ten Commandments, known also as the testimony, and the words of the covenants. Strictly speaking, this is for the Jews under the law. There are no Gentiles present, and yet, of course, Paul told you from the book of Galatians how the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and of course, a schoolmaster back in the good old days, was a pretty firm character, would get the whip out, the rod, or the stick, and put it to one's rear. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house. You will not covet, you will not lust. This goes back to Matthew chapter 5. If a man looks looks at a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And of course, that goes both ways. Somebody once said this, that a man falls in love with what he sees, Whereas a woman falls in love with what she hears. There's a lot of truth in that. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife, going back to adultery, like the seventh commandment, nor his manservant. This will be the first reference, indirect reference to homosexuality. Men lusting after men, women lusting after women. Paul speaks about this over in Romans chapter 1. And of course, if you think about poor old Joseph back in Genesis, who was attracting unwanted attention from Pontius' wife. And she was on his case... Day after day, come here, let's do this, let's do that, so on and so forth. And he was able to resist her, whereas David wasn't able to resist female temptation. Josiah wasn't able to resist female temptation. Solomon wasn't able to resist female temptation. Simon Peter would cuss, curse, and blaspheme, whereas the Apostle Paul, for the most part, was almost flawless. And he told you he was a chief of sinners. And this goes back once again to the two natures of the believer, nor his maidservants. You've got two groups of people here. You've got the men and the women. And you were told if you were a Jew back in Exodus chapter 20, remember that God is speaking, not Moses. You were told that a Jewish man wasn't to lust after another Jewish man or a Jewish woman wasn't to lust after another Jewish woman. It goes both ways. It's like uh, domestic violence. Domestic violence is now 50-50. Up until recent years, we were led to believe that men were the worst perpetrators. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's almost 50-50. It's almost 50-50. It's like pornography. We were told for many years that men are the most amount of people, or men are the most, uh, when it comes to those that watch pornography, not anymore. It's almost 60-40 now. Of course, men are still in the lead, but I'll tell you something. Some of you feminists out there that blame men for everything... Some of the top producers in the adult industry are women. Some of the top directors in the, ad, in the adult industry are women. And the top stars who make the most money are women. No men involved there. And yet, if you are a typical man, you are beaten down. And yet, in the porn industry, like I say, it's mainly women making money off women. But don't expect feminists to tell you much about that. Nor is Ox... Nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So quite simply, you were told to be careful what you look at. That's what Job 31 is all about. I made a covenant with mine eyes that I wouldn't look upon a maid. What you are supposed to do and what you end up doing are not always the same thing. Going back to what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's like a paradox. It is a paradox. It's a, it's a dichotomy. You can't explain it. You can't comprehend why on one occasion you're able to do this and on another you're not able to do such and such. I always think about John Calvin in Geneva getting the whip out, killing 68 people, murdering Michael Servetus, whipping his own stepdaughter and beheading other people for sins of the flesh, so on and so forth. And then every Sunday morning he get up in his pulpits, and I've been to his pulpits, I've been to his church in Geneva, I've seen his chair in Geneva, I've seen his church in geneva is now run by a woman and it's almost laughable this tiny little man about five foot three five foot four they called him the pope of protestantism would go around with a whip literally whipping men whipping women beheading people like i say and then get up every sunday and preach about holiness what a joke what a joke he put a man to death for denying the eternal sonship of christ he took his daughter's head off because she committed adultery he had other people whipped and flogged in the street the sins of the flesh and yet when it came to his own standing with servetus he wasn't disciplined and i was sent a video this week about a new documentary called apostasy about the jehovah's witnesses based on a true story and the director of this documentary is a former jehovah's witness and in this documentary very powerful british documentary you can see it on youtube basically it's about a woman who gets pregnant in the kingdom hall the witnesses She's a young woman, so it's like sex out of marriage, if you will. And the mother gets involved, and she goes to the elders, and she says to the elders, my daughter's now pregnant, what are we going to do? And to cut a long story short, they kick the daughter and the mother out. But how about those guys who made those false prophecies back in 1914, or 1941, or 1975? Those guys weren't kicked out of the witnesses. How about Judge Rutherford, who told you that Jesus Christ, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were going to come back to California? Come back to planet Earth in 1941, 42. He wasn't kicked out of the witnesses. And you were told time after time in your Bible that if a preacher, a prophet or a teacher makes a false prophecy, he or she was to be put to death. Double standard, you see. Look at 17 again. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You. you got multiple commandments here, mostly negative. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Only one is partly positive, being a Sabbath. But if you broke that, you'd lose your life. Thou shalt not covet, you will not lust, after your neighbour's house. I'll speak about that in a few more moments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife. You will not lust after your neighbour's wife. You will not lust after your best friend, if you will. Again, this goes both ways. Nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. It's not just what you do, it's what you think. Going back to, if you think it in your heart, that's what you've done. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. This book is dynamite. This book is against you. Going back to the schoolmaster analogy. The schoolmaster brings you to Christ and prays the Lord for that. But along the way, it can get pretty rough. It can get pretty brutal. I went to pretty strict school and so did Patrick. We both experienced corporal punishment. That's a rare thing for today. You've now got kids attacking their teachers and getting away with it. But when I went to school, when he went to school, they attacked us. And many times we deserved it, of course. And here, you're not to lust after his ox, his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So basically, you are to be content with what you have. You're to be content with your station in life. Not always easy, of course. You are told, as a young boy, to work hard and get nice things... You're told if you work hard, you get a nice house, you get a nice wife, you get a nice car. Girls are told the same thing. Sometimes parents will say this, that one day, if you work hard enough, you'll be just like Uncle such and such, or Auntie such and such. It's coveting. You're putting pressure on your kids to work hard, to enjoy the good things in life. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But many times you cripple your children. And there's always a poster boy or a poster girl in your family that is constantly being held up as this great man or great woman but you were told, and of course this has some application to Christians today, not to covet, not to lust. Because you were told very clearly that coveting is a sin of idolatry. Colossians 3.5, and therefore uh, Jesus would also warn us to beware of covetousness. From Luke 12.15, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house. Property, of course, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife. His wife belongs to him, and the husband belongs to the wife. That's what First Corinthians 7 is all about. The wife belongs to the husband, and the husband belongs to the wife. That's a tough verse to preach. If you are a saved woman living with an unsaved man, that's pretty rough. Or if you are a saved man living with an unsaved woman, that's pretty rough. But that's what the Word of God tells you. Nor his manservants, nor his servants. Be careful what you look at. Old Job was able to avoid his eyes wandering, and yet, as I say, King David wasn't. So on one occasion, he went to the top of his roof, saw Bathsheba taking a bath, said to one of his aides, who's that beautiful woman? And they said, it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And he said, bring her to me. And she was brought to him. And those two had sex the same night. And of course, you know what took place. The Lord wasn't happy with that. It wasn't just the sexual side of it. It was the fact that he tried to cover up her pregnancy. And he tried to cover up her pregnancy by sacrificing her husband to the God of the Philistines. And therefore God sacrificed David's son and Bathsheba's son due to their liaison. And of course he was told to put away somebody else's wife. But he took her to be his own wife. And they stayed together. Nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbours. If you go back to the first century, you go back to the ancient world or if you look at any third world country today, livestock would be part of of a person's property. If you think of a poor farmer in Peru, Mexico or Brazil, they have livestock, and their livestock are their livelihood. They can't survive without their livestock, their livelihood, and therefore if some third party is wanting to pounce on that poor farmer's livestock and take such from such a farmer. The farmer is going to be out on his ear. Go to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. I'm the chief of sinners. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I want to do, I don't do. I find that I'm unable to do what I should do. And on one occasion, Simon Peter was challenged by the Lord to eat particular foods. And he got into an argument with the Lord. There's no lordship in the New Testament. Simon Peter was told to eat. And he said, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Paul was told not to go up to Jerusalem. And up to Jerusalem he went. John Mark was told to... Stay in the work with uh, Paul and Barnabas. And basically he went his own way and they lost several years of ministry. Free will is a biblical doctrine. It's something which should be fought for and defended. Micah chapter 2, Micah chapter 2. Look at verse 1 if you will. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. You think of some of these infamous families over the years. These dynasties, like the Kennedys, like the Rothschilds, like the Murdochs, they plan and plot, they are always scheming, always planning ahead, they are money mad, and of course you were told how the love of money is a root of all evil. Woe to them that devise iniquity, and work evil upon their beds. I remember watching a documentary some years ago, I forget who it was about, it was a British character whose name escapes me he was a sportsman and he said this he said I do all my business in my home I don't go out and he didn't go out he had his own office in his room and actually did most of his work from his bed on his phone and he was a strange character to watch but when I think about him this morning this verse has some reference to him when the morning is light they practice it like when the sun comes up in the UK when the sun comes up The uh, Japanese stock market is ending. And when the uh, British uh, FTSE ends at the end of the working day, the American Dow Jones comes alive. And these entrepreneurs are always planning and plotting. They have their mobile phones. They are checking the exchange rates. They are money mad, you see, because it is in the power of their hand. Hand. You raise your hand somebody would survive, you put your hand down, somebody would die. You go back to the gladiators, when the gladiators were brought in to entertain the Romans, Caesar would be there and all of his uh, subjects, and they get into a sword fight, and as it was going against one of the two uh, characters that were performing for Caesar and co, the hand would go up, and if the thumb went down, the gladiator would die, and if the thumb went up, the gladiator would survive. That's power, that's power, power in the hand. There's a clip on YouTube of a 1990s movie about Malcolm X. And it's based on a true story, of course. And Malcolm X was a Muslim convert, went to Saudi Arabia, got very disillusioned with Islam, came back to America, and conveniently was bumped off in 1968. But they made a movie about Malcolm X. And there's a scene in this movie, a very powerful scene. Denzel Washington plays Malcolm X. And there's an event in America back in the mid-1960s. I forget what the background of it was. Somebody being arrested, I guess and a group of blacks are being held they were like the Black Panthers a terrorist organisation and Malcolm X arrives with about 5,000 black men with their red tie, uh, red bow ties Nation of Islam that's what they're called, still go to this day and basically you got 5,000 black men all lined up in a very straight line very well disciplined and Malcolm X arrives and you got this police chief and these two are going back and forth and basically it's about to go either way and had Malcolm X wanted to he could have said in you go, get the gentleman out to the prison and we will, you know, disappear sort of a thing. And basically, it got to the brink of a major situation. An old Malcolm X lifted up his hand, spun his hand to the right. It was his right hand from memory. And 5,000 men spun around. They clicked their heels together and they marched. A bit like the Gestapo, a bit like the SS. It's a powerful scene. Look at verse 2. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away so they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. So if you go back over the years, if you think of people like the royal family or the papacy, not just infamous dynasties like the Kennedys, the Rothschilds or the Murdochs, but go further back, the 2nd century to the 3rd century, you have popes getting on horses, becoming emperors, becoming executioners. And these popes would travel around Europe, people like Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Nero, Titus, a Domitian... There's so many that we could name. And these pagans, fast forward into the third and fourth century AD, became popes. They just took lands left, right, and centre. They just confiscated people's homes, lands, and properties. If you look at the UK, you've got Balmoral, you've got Sandringham, you've got Buckingham Palace, you've got Windsor Castle. You go about five or six hundred years. Get the maps out. See who owned the lands then. Look at the Vatican. Look at uh, parts of Rome. Look at Saudi Arabia. Check out. Some of the landmasts and and, uh, landmarks in Saudi Arabia. You go about five or six, seven or eight, nine hundred years or so. Somebody had their land stolen. Look at verse three. Therefore thus saith the Lord. Behold, against this family do I devise an evil. From which you shall not remove your necks. Neither shall you go haughtily. For this time is evil. There was a story back in the 1920s concerning uh joe kennedy senior and he was into a uh, property he was a slum landlord and basically he purchased a row of houses a whole neighborhood really in a part of new york forget where it was and they knocked down all these homes and they got to one tiny home at the end of a parade of houses tiny two-bedroomed house and there was an old romanian woman who lived there and they said to uh, jack kennedy we can't get this woman to leave the house We've offered her thousands of dollars in compensation. She won't leave. An old Joe Kennedy who dealt with the mafia, worked very closely with Sam Giancarna, Al Capone, Bugsy Malone, all the top infamous characters throughout the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, said, I'll deal with this woman. An old Joe Kennedy who was the ambassador to Britain during World War II and said to uh, Roosevelt, Britain will sink a bit like Brexit, just leave her be, let her be sort of a thing, and of course Britain will reign again, Britain will rule again, with or without Brexit, and cables are going back to America saying Britain won't last, and of course Kennedy was a Catholic, you know, a very powerful and successful Catholic, gave millions to the Vatican, but here's the story, Kennedy went to this woman knocked on her door, she opened this door, little Romanian woman, and basically said to her, it's time to move out, Mrs. Such and Such, we've offered you thousands of dollars to move out, I'm not going anywhere, she spat in his face, and she said, I curse you, I curse you. And of course, you know the story of the Kennedys, but it says here from verse 1, woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds, when the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand, plotting and planning, coveting, lusting, They covet fields and take them by violence. The popes would go in, massacre people left, right, and centre, and so too with members of the royal family. That's one of the reasons why Cromwell went after King Charles I, because he was going all over the country, just confiscating people's homes and houses, found here in verse 2, and take them away, so they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Of course, in the context, this is aimed at the Jews, but prophetically, over many years, this is aimed at evil people in general. Verse three one more time Therefore thus saith the Lord, Jehovah is speaking. Behold, against this family do I devise an evil. You reap what you sow, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. Go to Jeremiah chapter six. Jeremiah chapter six, the ninth commandment. Resulted in death, so too with the eighth, the seventh, the sixth, the fifth, the fourth, the third, the second And the first, and of course the ninth, would also result in the death penalty. But the tenth, the final, doesn't result in the death penalty. But it comes pretty near. Because like I say, when you start to covet, you start to lust, you go back into idolatry. Again, coveting is the sin of idolatry. Colossians 3, 5. And again, Jesus Christ told you how to beware of covetousness. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Look at verse 11, if you will therefore i am full of the fury of the lord jeremiah speaking i am weary with holding in i will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of the young men together for even the husband with the wife shall be taken the aged with him that is full of days judgment is coming the jews are going to go into babylon god has no respect to a persons, so he will whip his children hebrews says if you're not whipped once in a while you don't belong to the lord i've been a christian 17 years i've been whipped many times for my disobedience, not just what I shouldn't do, but what I should do. Look at verse 12. And their houses shall be turned unto others, and their fields and wives together. For I stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness and from the prophet even unto the priest everyone dealeth falsely you've got an entire nation going south not just the priests but also the people and when the people and the priests start to go south you're in a meltdown you think of when the lord jesus christ arrived just two or three were ready for him even nicodemus at times wasn't overly sure how to handle the man christ jesus joseph of Arimathea was a pretty decent man but even he walked a fine line but the vast majority of the jews like the Sanhedrin, and other leaders in Israel had no interest in him. Going back to Matthew chapter two and the Magi breezing into Jerusalem with an army of around two thousand people, armed men, sons, and so forth, and not one of those men went with the Magi to witness and worship the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse fourteen: They have healed also the hurts of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, "Peace, peace." When there is no peace, that's a major lie for today. If you're not pre-millennial or pre or people say this, that it's going to get better. Things are going to improve. We have to bring in the kingdom. That's what they say. And of course, that's a bold-faced lie. Things are going to get worse. A whole lot worse. Before the Prince of Peace returns. Were they ashamed when they had committed an abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Jehovah's people committing sin, like coveting, plotting and planning, cutting innocent people down, literally annihilating people. That's what greed will end up causing you to do. Go to First Corinthians chapter 5. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If you think about doing something long enough, you've done it if you hate somebody you are technically a murderer you don't physically have to put your hands around someone's throat and throttle them to death or put a knife into someone and see that person die or put a bullet in somebody's head and see that person die if you have anger unjust anger towards someone for a period of time that is the same as committing murder going back to first john chapter three Look at first corinthians chapter 5, 1 corinthians chapter five look at verse nine if you will I wrote unto you in an epistle, not company with fornicators. There's that word again, fornicators. Pornia, like group sex, like free sex, like an orgy. Going back to what it was like living in Corinth during the first century, they had a couple of pagan temples and parts of the practice. And rituals at these pagan temples would be, group, would be a group sex, a bit like Alistair Crowley would enjoy. And they thought it made them more holier, closer to their God. And of course their God is Satan. But here I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Pick your friends carefully. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. That's very true. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must your needs go out of the world. So if you are a Christian, and you start to backslide, and you go back into your old way of life, and that's what happens when Christians backslide. They go back into their old way of life and they become a transgressor of the law. They put themselves back under the condemnation in a temporary sense, of course. Although, technically speaking, you could be a fornicator, an adulterer, an extortioner, an idolater. Or let's really push this. You may go back into sodomy. You may go back into the sin of lesbianism. But you said a Christian. And yet, by committing those sins of the flesh, that's how the world sees you. They see you as somebody who is living like they are. And they welcome you with open arms. But you're still a Christian. You're still born again. You've got imputation. But here Paul is speaking about fellowship, company. Elsewhere he would tell you how evil communication crops. Good man is. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such and one know not to eat. So a Christian who backslides. And goes back into their old lives. Could be any one of these sins. In verse 9, 10 or 11. Never repents of such sins. You're told to put them out of your fellowship. You're told to put her out of your fellowship. Now you try and practice this now. You try and practice this. How many people do you think that are saved. Are committing fornication. Or are coveting. Or are guilty of idolatry. Or get drunk once in a while. Or are an extortioner. Making money off their products. They copyright their DVDs. They push the tithe, big time, on Christian people. You're in a bit of a spin now, aren't you? How do you decide who to cut off from your midst? It's tough, isn't it? For what have I to do to judge them also that are without, like the world? Do not ye judge them that are within. You're supposed to. But of course, you start getting down to business, the church will be empty. You think of a typical church of 100 people. You're telling me that out of 100 people, not one has ever been guilty of fornication, adultery, idolatry, using new Bibles? Hang around with apostate Christians. Drunkard. Likes a good drink, or occasionally. Likes to get drunk once a fortnight, once a month. That's how fine this book will judge you. Extortioner. Ripping you off. The tithe, the lie. With such and one know not to eat. Don't hang around with such a person. For what have I to do to judge them also that or without? Am I responsible for the world? Of course not. John 17. Jesus told you he wasn't sent for the world. Didn't pray for the world. Like the world system but for those that the Father had given him, in the context of the apostles. Do not ye judge them that are within, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, but them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So quite simply, you were told in both Testaments to be careful what you lust after, what you want to uh, receive in life. It's always difficult, of course, because like I say, parents put a lot of pressure on their kids. If you are a young preacher, the chances are you will covet Older preachers, more successful preachers than than yourself, you may want their PhDs, you may covet their degrees. A lot of preachers are envious of other preachers with their PhDs, their massive auditoriums, successful ministries. Young girls will covet popular and more beautiful girls. Young boys will covet popular and more handsome boys. Parents will put pressure on their kids, they will say study hard, work hard, all the good things in life will come your way. And they'll say, look at this person over here, or that person over there. Look at uncle such and such, or auntie such and such. Look how successful she is. Has her own business. Or your uncle is a millionaire now, and that puts pressure on the kids. But basically, Micah chapter 2 is dealing with slavery also. And if you think about slavery, it's not just black people being sold into slavery. A lot of Muslims are being sold to other Muslims. But just for the record, just for the record, one of the lies that has been doing the rounds for hundreds of years And especially the last probably 60 years would be that the white men went over to Africa, stole black people, put them in ships and sent them back to Britain and America. That's not what happened. Just for the record, you had wealthy black men stealing poor black men, poor black women. And those wealthy black men would then sell those poor black men and women to Arabs, Mohammedans. And those Mohammedans would then sell them to white men, even in parts of Britain and America. It wasn't unheard. It wasn't uh, unusual to hear of wealthy black people having poor black slaves. But, of course, you won't be told that. Loan sharks also come into the picture here. Going back to plotting and planning. Your bedroom is your office, and you wake up in the morning. You get your phone out or your PC or your laptop, whatever it might be. You start checking the stock markets. Loan sharks, you start to lend money to people. I remember some years ago I saw an advert online, and I realized in five minutes I couldn't apply for it. It was a loan shark. I mean, it's legal, it's acceptable, but the interest rates were like a thousand percent. I remember speaking to a friend of mine at the time who was also looking at this particular position, and I said to him, he's also a Christian. I said to him, we can't apply for this job. They're going to cripple people. You know, single mothers, single fathers, people in very very low incomes applying for a loan of some kind, and this crowd are going to cripple them. A thousand percent APR. I mean, come on. You lend somebody what a hundred pounds. They pay, what, £2,000 back or something like that. It was astronomically high. I couldn't do that, and I didn't apply for that position. Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the Levite, he was always coveting. He was a tax collector like Zacchaeus from Luke 19. Very successful Jew. And this goes back, of course, to how Jews would covet the Gentiles back in biblical times, like First Samuel chapter 8, We want a king to reign over us. But the Gentiles today now covet the Jews. That's why Gentiles are so anti-Semitic. They're jealous of them. Because Jews, the Jews have been blessed. They have a particular gene. Because one day the Messiah would come from them. And one day the Messiah is going to return. And one day the two witnesses and the, and the 144,000 are going to be sent to preach to not only Israel but the world. Tribulation, of course. And therefore the Jews are being blessed. It could be the Rockefellers. It could be the Rothschilds. It could be anybody who you think of. They've been blessed. They're not, they're not saved, of course, but they've been blessed. And Gentiles are very jealous of the Jews, that's why Hitler killed many of them, and that's why Stalin killed many of them. That's why in this country today, the Labour Party are anti-Semitic, because they are jealous of the success of the Jews. Young boys are going to covet what successful and older men have, the same is true of young girls. So the Gentiles covet the Jews, are jealous, envious, they want what the Jews have, like right now. And go back to the Old Testament times. The Jews wonder what the Gentiles had. Going back to First Samuel, chapter eight. Young black boys look up to older black men, like basketball players, rappers, performers. They look up to those guys as their idols. Young white boys look up to their idols, their icons. Young girls look up to their pop stars, their successful pop stars, these successful female pop stars, and they covet. They covet what they have, and this is a problem. It comes to how to approach uh, life and how to get the balance right. It's difficult. It's difficult. You want your friends and family to be successful, but it almost borders lusting. It's not just sexual, it can be spiritual. Going back to seminary, students, preachers, most of the reasons why people fight and bicker online is based on jealousy. It's basically jealousy. Christian brothers, saved, born again, they are coveting what others others have and you got Maybe three or four, five or six ministries online, which are very popular. Thousands of views, subscribers. And those ministries are making a lot of money. A lot of money. And some smaller ministries have, nothing where, have nowhere near the success that those ministries have. And they get very jealous and they get very spiteful. Going back to what James told you, be careful how you speak, what you do. One minute you are praising the Lord. The next minute you are cutting your brother or sister down. But again, this is the two natures of the believer. But the 10th and final commandment has no death penalty associated with it. But like I say, if you really push it, going back to idolatry, then of course that is the first, the second, and also the third commandment, which would result in a Jew living under the Old Testament, losing his or her life. Because once you start to worship God in a false way, or you create a God in your own image, you are now guilty of idolatry, and that will cost you your life. Had you lived, of course, back in biblical times, and Paul told you how, how idolaters... Will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, how you want to, however you want to approach this, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a very tough one, and that's why, if you can, if you can be content with what you have, don't become uh, buffeted. Don't envy some of the infamous families like the Kennedys. They've had a pretty rough time over the last 50 or six year, 50 or 60 years. The Murdochs and the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Trumps the Windsors, the list goes on and on and on. Because one day, all of those families will come to an end. All of their plotting and planning and scheming will come to an end. And that's why Jesus Christ told you how it doesn't profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul.